We are reading together from Galatians, and if you have a Bible or you can uh, access one, we're going to read from Galatians 2, and uh, the second half of that chapter, verse 11 through to the end. As I read, I might just give a little bit of context so you uh, pick up what's going on. Paul is writing to some new Christians in an area called Galatia, which we would call Turkey. And um, what's happened is that these people have come to know Jesus and they've come from an idolatrous background, a superstitious background, one where they felt that luck, fates, the gods all sort of controlled their future. And Paul had preached to these people and told them that that's not true. That actually, God is in control of your future. And that you don't need to clean yourself up to come to know him because Jesus died, that he would open the way so that we would have that relationship. And then what had happened is some people had come in to their churches and said, yeah, well, that's all well and good, isn't it? But to be honest, you do need to clean yourself up. And there are rules that you have to keep. And they did that because they came from a background of Jewish faith, where they did have a a rhythm of life that involved days and food laws and circumcision. They said, if you want to be part of us, if you really want to be part of us, then you have to take on these other things. And Paul was saying to Gentiles, you don't. Jesus is enough. Don't let other people put their rules and regulations on you. It is enough. And so we pick up in the middle of the second chapter when Paul is talking about his own experience. And what he's doing is using his experience of what had happened to him and the arguments that he's been in to say to the Jewish people who were trying to come in and impose their way. And Paul wants to say, we don't need to do this. Now, Two things to say. Firstly, he never says to the Jewish Christians, you've got to stop your way. He never says that. But what he does say is, but don't impose your way on someone else. So he begins like this. When, in my Bible, it says Cephas, uh, but that is another name for Peter. So the apostle Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, where the church, one of the churches was, I opposed him face to his face because he stood condemned, because he was wrong. For before certain people came from James, and James was one of the senior apostles who was in Jerusalem at the heart of the Jewish Christians. So when before James, the people from James came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back And separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, if you don't know that name, that will mean nothing to you. But if you've got any echo of the story of the early church, you will go, Barnabas, he was the encourager. He was the one that worked with Paul. Even Barnabas was influenced. 
Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person isn't justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? No, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me ask you a question. If you could invite one person for dinner, who would it be and why would you invite them? Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, I'm glad you weren't in when we were doing the announcements because you wouldn't have got your head out of the door. Um, if you could invite one person to dinner, who would you invite? Steve Smith, so that he wouldn't be able to crip and you'd poison him. Um, no, you'd cook for him. Um, who would you invite? One person for dinner, who would you invite and why? You don't know? C.S. Lewis, why? Because you've read his books and he blows your mind. I want to talk to C.S. Lewis. Who would you invite? Someone. That question was on Facebook once. And I thought I'd like to meet, sit down and have a meal with Jesus Christ. And my daughter thought, meet my mother, she's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> So if you didn't hear that, uh, Val said that this question was on Facebook and it is a, a sort of a regular question. And uh, she put Jesus, which is the correct answer. I'm surprised that Jill didn't say that. <laughs> and uh, Val's daughter said, my, meet my mother. She's so embarrassing. Who would you, who would you want to talk to? Sorry? Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Yeah, a number of us would like to talk to Boris right now. Somebody else. Who would you say? C.S. Lewis again. Tolkien, yeah. Who would you invite? Bill Gates. Yeah, richest man in the world. <laughs> what was it about the richest man in the world that made you want to invite him for dinner? <laughs> Bill Gates. Well, who else would you invite? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> mm, okay. There's some questions you should never really ask if you don't know what the answer's going to be. That's not the question. That's the worry. Um, why would you want to invite Taylor Swift? 
Yeah, that's less good than I thought it was going to be. Who would you invite? Last one. Who do you invite? Yeah. See, that's the sort of answer I was looking for, Andrew. I don't, I don't get technical. Interesting when you um, start to think about who do you want to invite, and it isn't, I mean, it's like one of those, it's a Facebook question, isn't it? If I ask you why, you say, because I want to connect with them. That's why you invite people. And it's still true. It's why eating together is so important, because actually it is the way you connect. It is the way where over a, an hour, two hours, without an agenda, you find out who you are. And you allow someone to know you, who you are. Imagine, though, that the head of the local vegan branch was invited to a party that you were at. It's not yours, someone else's. And this head of the vegan branch comes and the party is a barbecue. And the only food that is there are steaks that have been marinated overnight in oil and garlic and lemon. Lemon? I don't know. Maybe not lemon. Sometimes you get on a tangent with my stories. And the juicy steak is waiting for everybody. And the vegan, the leader of the vegan group says, I can't eat that. And in fact, I feel so strongly about it that because I can't eat that, I can't eat with you. Because I feel the vegan, and not all vegans are like this, this is a story, it's a parable. It's exaggerated. I'm changing my email address. <laughs> the vegan would say, perhaps. Not only is it I can't eat, but because you do, I can't eat with you. And so any relationship that they may have had is now broken. Now if that parable story picture means anything to you, in the first century, that's how it felt. If you were Gentile, you'd grown up not in the Jewish faith, then it didn't matter where your meat came from. It could have come from idols. It could have come from the temple. It could have come from wherever. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to you. But if you'd grown up Jewish, it really mattered. There were certain meats and certain foods you couldn't eat. And it really mattered. It mattered because it was part of your relationship with God. And actually, it mattered so much that for some people, they would say to the other, not only if we're going to eat, I can't eat that, but if you're going to eat that, I can't eat with you. And that's what was going on here. It was like... They had these rules. And you, I hope you can see how in a, a church, in a new church, where you've got people from both of these backgrounds together, 
then actually life becomes quite difficult and life becomes quite contentious. And Paul was wanting to say the answer to that problem is not that one group makes the other group live by their rules. The answer to the problem is Jesus. Because none of us, Paul says, whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile, none of us are justified. None of us are made right by the rules by which we live. All of us are justified, made right with God because Jesus did something. And if you trust him, then you will find that the door of heaven opens to you, that actually you do hear from God, that you do live a life that's bigger, that you do understand more about what it's all about. But it's not because of the rules, whether you're Jewish, Paul says, or whether you're Gentile. And Peter had come, and Peter, this apostle, had had got this at one point, but then when he started to realize that people were coming who were his people, his past, people from his past, he drew back from the people he'd been eating with and said, I can't eat with you either. And that's why Paul was so cross. And he said to Peter, you are wrong to go back into your old ways. And he ends that passage and it's a complicated passage in some ways and I've not got time to unpack it all you know that I just want to highlight one or two things but where he ends it is on this phrase or this little sentence I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me Paul is saying to Peter when I became a Christian I lost everything or my status, or my position, all the things that I was certain about, all my past that I was so confident about, I lost it. Because something new happened. Christ came to live in me. So two questions. Why tell the Galatians all that then? Well, I try to explain, but the bigger question is, why am I telling you now? <laughs> and what I want to say, and in a sense, the simple thing I want to say this morning is, that sometimes you've got to stand up to all the things that would pull you back into your own past. There are sometimes where actually you've got to say, I am living a new future, a new story. And I don't want to get dragged back into my old story. There are big theological themes that were really significant then. I just want to aim on this one for us, because I think this is bigger than what you're going to eat. I think this is one of the things that some of us struggle with. It's easy to slip back, isn't it? It's easy to slip back into a way of life that, where you fit in with everybody else. Why did Peter feel the need to go back to the way he used to be? Well, because these guys came and they knew him. 
He'd been in Jerusalem. He'd been part of that circle. Do any of you know how that might have felt? When these people come and they say, Peter, you're letting us down, come back. And suddenly Peter feels in his own heart and mind, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the way. Because you see, the truth was, the old, your old story, Peter's old story, sometimes that's safer. I knew how to deal with things then. It may not have been great, but I knew how to deal with things. It's this, it's this present situation that I'm, I'm struggling with. Because the present is new and I'm not certain what's going on, but the old I could deal with. It happens all the time. Do any of you, I, I don't know if this ever happens to you, do any of you sort of look, do you ever have moments where, you know if, if people have, have done stuff to you in the past and uh, you get over it and you kind of forgive them. I mean, and I, I actually mean kind of forgive them. But, but distance comes and then something happens, there's a trigger and you get pulled back into that situation again in your head. Do any of you know what it feels like to relive the soundtrack that you thought you'd left behind. And it can happen because of the way people have hurt you. It can happen because of the way you feel about yourself. But it's like a soundtrack. And that soundtrack, ironically, you know that soundtrack is not good. But it's comfortable. I know how it plays out. Do any of you find yourself doing that sort of stuff? Do any of you know how it feels? When you meet people who were part of your past and they go, come with us. And you find yourself in the same cycle of behavior. And you know it's not where I want to be. But you know as well, it feels comfortable here. Don't have to think anymore. I was talking to someone this week. Exactly. I mean, they didn't know anything about anything I was going to say. But they told me, told me a story about how they were in a context and they were with some people and it was just like it had been 20 years ago. And they found themselves, they found themselves in a situation that they didn't want to be in and they knew it wasn't good, but it just felt so comfortable. And it made me think about how we deal with our past. I think the devil, amongst many of his uh, sort of routines, I think the devil pushes to extremes. I think for some of us, when we look at our past, he pushes into pride and identity. I think identity is the key thing, by the way. But for some of us, when we look back, it's about pride in who we were. And um, I meet people from time to time and their life has changed. Maybe they're retired now, or maybe their situation has changed. Maybe their job's changed, or maybe they've not got work now, or they're doing a job that they wish they weren't doing now. And all of their identity is in who they used to be. Who they used to be. You hear it, don't you, when they tell their stories? Well, 
You, it's kind of like sometimes it's really quick. You go, hello, what's your name? He doesn't do this. I'm not, I'm not going to kiss you again either. <laughs> Just for the sake of the tape, that is confusing. I'll grant you that. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like you meet Ian and uh, you say to Ian, hi, who are you? And he goes, I'm Ian. And eventually we ask one another, so what do you do? And Ian oversees a very small local cafe and he leads worship in an ordinary church. And Ian might go, well, that's what I do now. But I was once the head of a department, you know, in a college. I've, I've got albums to my name. <laughs> I write songs. I am a songwriter. <laughs> and he tells you all this because he wants you to know I'm more than the overseer of a cafe. I'm more than a worship leader in a small church. I once was someone. Do any of you know how that feels? When the devil pulls you into pride, and actually the problem is your identity. Where's your identity? And if your identity is in what you've done, you'll never be good enough. And the other flip side of the past is shame. I can't believe I did what I did. I can't believe I was who I was. So therefore, I'll avoid you. I want to say to you, and I want to say to me, that our identity is not defined by our past whether that past was brilliant or whether actually it was a nightmare. Your identity, and this can sound like church talk and God talk, but your identity is about being in Christ. But more than that, your identity opens up a new future. And it's almost like, what do you want to hold on to? If you want to hold on to the past, you can or you can reach for a new future. And it's almost like you decide what you want. You see, the truth for Peter was that his past was smaller than the future that God had for him. His past was smaller than the future that God had for him. His past was safe and secure. And so when these people came, he felt drawn to it. And Peter says, Peter, don't go back. Because your future is bigger. And your future is bigger than your successes in the past or what you did. And even if today, and sometimes it happens most, most often it happens to us in a workplace setting. Where you get to the point where you see other people overtaking you. You know, that sort of feeling. Some of you are, are, you, you are the rising stars of the next generation. Some of us are the ones you're overtaking. And sometimes it's hard for the ones who are being overtaken to bless the ones who are coming up on the slipstream. 
your identity is not based upon what people think of you. Your identity is not based upon your position. Your identity is in Christ. Your future is bigger than your past, whether it's good or bad. So how do you deal with it? Listen, some of us have got stuff that has happened in our past and it has been brilliant. Humility isn't going, I never did anything of any worth. That is not humility. (laughs) That's just stupidity. Humility goes, do you know what? There was some stuff I did and I am glad I had the chance to do it. And somehow, and somehow, it was better than anybody imagined. And I'm grateful. There's some stuff in our past that we're able to make an offering for. There's some stuff in our past that we're ashamed of that if anybody found out, we would be ashamed. And the truth is, for that, there's forgiveness and grace. But for all of us, the working of God is, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him, me and gave himself for me. You don't need to parade the successes of the past to be well thought of. You don't need to avoid the past because of the failures. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. He's working out his purpose in you and through you and for you and with you. He's opening up the future and there's none of you that are too old for that to be true of. Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you and he's reshaping you because he loved you and he gave himself for you so we can be freer more open, more honest, more helpful, and healthier. Peter came, and they found themselves in a mess because they couldn't eat together and all that stuff I said at the beginning. And Paul comes and goes, That's the past. What's the future going to be? And we're not in exactly the same position as the Galatians were at all. But we know that. And that makes sense. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask Ian and and the crew if they can come and, and lead us again and play. And um, as they do, If you, um, if you were with us last week, one of the things that we talked about last week was how do you preach the gospel to yourself? And in some ways, I think there's some things that for some of you, you might want to be able to say, how do I preach this to myself? If it's at all been helpful, how do I apply this to myself? So I'm going to ask... Uh, the musicians just play for us which will allow us to have a bit of space and time and then I'm going to ask them to sing but we won't join in at that point but allow them just to sing for us really 
One of the songs that allows us to go, our future's in you. We're not defined by the past. Our identity is in Christ. So Father God, I pray that if any of this that I've said has been helpful, that Lord, you would apply it to our hearts. The Lord, you take your word, the word written by Paul in a particular situation and you would renew it and put it in our hearts for ours. That you'd remind us that we've been crucified with Christ and that might look on the one hand like we left a lot of things behind. But Lord, I pray that we would know the power of Christ living in us that opens up a new future. Thank you that we're yours. Thank you, Lord, that for those of us who sometimes look over our shoulder and we're ashamed of the past, Lord, thank you that we're in you. Not defined by that, but defined by you. Lord, thank you for those of us who, get, who right now in life feel a little discontent because the past seems better than the present. Lord, I pray that we will know the present filled with Christ. Lord, change our hearts, we pray, and in some cases, change our minds. That we would see you. So come, Holy Spirit, apply your word into our hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Why don't we listen while these folks play and sing for us. While that's happening, I think we might need four folks just to come and prepare communion for us and serve us. So if you'd be willing to do that, that'd be great. The way we do communion in our church is we come and receive it at the front. We eat and we drink from the little cup at the front and then just find our way back to our seats. You're welcome to come and eat and drink with us. It's the reminder that your identity is in Christ and not in your position or your title, but actually you're a disciple of his. And if that's where you are today, it's not you've got it all sorted, but you know you're on the way, then come and eat and drink. And meanwhile, these folks will sing for us.